Hi there, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Podcast Goes To, a weekly podcast where we randomly select and discuss an Oscar-nominated picture. This week, the podcast goes to 1998's Saving Private Ryan. I'm Matt, joined by my co-host, Bob. Bob, how's it going, man? I'm surviving. Barely surviving. (laughs) But I made it. I made it through last week, and I made it through d-day and world war ii and we're good to go for this podcast i feel like our i feel like our world war ii was fighting through the 1950s for the last month april was like 50s month and now here we are in may (laughs) yeah you're so right we fought through the 1950s just to celebrate watching a movie that takes place in 1944 (laughs) we haven't been post 1950s since kiss of the spider woman in episode three <laughs> you're so right it's so crazy oh my god i feel like we're already betraying the whole purpose of saving private ryan which is like to honor and respect the past <laughs> we're already like celebrating getting to watch the slaughter of d-day comparing it to having to watch some old black and white movies so on that note is there any cleanup we have from Last week, any street cleanup? I, I absolutely do not want to spend more than like 60 seconds talking about last week's film. But um, there was one fact that I read, and I was hoping that in the interim I'd be able to fact check it, and I never was able to. But apparently George Clooney was only paid $1 to direct the movie. But that just doesn't seem right. I mean, there's labor laws that prevent people <laughs> working for $1. That's $1 more than I've ever made directing films. <laughs> <laughs> That's on you, Bob. Uh, but yeah, that was all I had. Did you have anything? So I had a particular point on last week's episode. What happened on that second break? <laughs> you destroyed me. <laughs> I have the distinct privilege, for those of you who don't know, that I edit the podcast Anytime that I feel like Bob has slighted me, I just wait patiently for my revenge and take it out in the cutting room. It was, I I mean, it was a great burn. I got to give it to you. You really dished it out to me. That mashup of me bashing Eminem with an Eminem song. It just, it was, oh man, it was gold. I, I I gotta give you props. I'm actually wearing an Eminem shirt, which you pointed out before we started. I've actually been wearing this shirt for like three days in a row now. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big like undershirt guy. I just don't change my undershirt. I just get into bed with it, wake up the next morning, just put a new shirt over it and just continue on (laughs) with my day. That's almost worse than than just wearing one shirt for for a few days is like the undershirt that gets like sweaty and like (laughs) oh it's like not changing your underwear basically which i definitely do change my underwear (laughs) i have not been wearing this underwear as long as i've been wearing the m&m shirt i can do you have m&m underwear too or is that too too private for a public podcast (laughs) what would m&m underwear even look like (laughs) just like m&m on my (laughs) butt cheeks yeah yeah I think that's, that's exactly what it would look like. <laughs> I understand we have some more fan reviews. We do have a new fan review this week. I'm glad that we're we're keeping up with one a week here with the fan reviews. I hope they keep coming. Uh, leave us a review on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And feel free to give the podcast a listen while you're at it, because some of these people, I'm not quite sure if they actually listen to the podcast. I feel like they just want to get their reviews read. 
<laughs> this one is from Sad Panda Forty Five. The five star review goes to is the title. Wow. Upon upon my first listen, I knew this one would be different. Great personalities, great content. The two are married into a perfect combination that make for one hell of a listen. Thank you, Sad Panda. Wow, thank you. You know what I think of when I when I hear Sad Panda? I don't know why. The Snickers commercial? Oh, okay, that too. But <laughs> what I really think about is that South Park episode. Sexual harassment, panda. <laughs> Have you seen that episode? <laughs> I've seen I've seen all of them except that there was a new season in the last six months. I haven't seen that one. I saw half of it and it's really good. I really struggled through the last few seasons when they started to do um, like a a season long arch arc. I, oh I, really? See, I'm just the opposite. I, I I eat that stuff up. So maybe you won't like this new season. Oh, they did it again. They said yeah. they weren't going to do it anymore. Or or unless I watched last year's one and thought it was this year's one i could i'm i'm behind on a lot of stuff is it the trolling season no that was like two ago wasn't it oh shit okay yeah i might be a little bit behind i did my saving private ryan research but i certainly did not do any software <laughs> research because i didn't know you were gonna read a sexual pr- harassment panda review on our, on our podcast <laughs> sad panda 45 i wonder what the 45 stands for or why the panda is so sad. I hope he wasn't. I think that person was born in 45, and they were alive during World War II, where Saving Private Ryan takes place during. Nice. I'm catching on, Matt. Catching on to your segues. You're, you're the king, but I'm, uh, I've been working on my shit. Well, the film doesn't start in 1945. It starts in present day. So we do get a little taste of 1998. Um, the film opens with an old man in the this, um, Memorial Cemetery, Veterans Memorial Cemetery in Normandy, visiting a gravesite of someone that we have yet to meet. And then we flash back to June 6th, 1944, which is D-Day, and... We are met with a 27-minute opening action sequence during which we meet all of our heroes and the uh, plot begins to unravel. What an opening to a movie. I mean, that was such a crazy sequence. Yeah, that D-Day scene is, like, maybe one of the most brilliant, like, well-done film scenes ever. (laughs) It's so good. And it's what i always think of when you when you think of like war scenes in in films i've never served or anything like that but this is like the closest a civilian can get to really feeling what it felt like it's yeah it was a really jarring opening and i think that it helped that it seemed that they used all handheld cameras yeah like it was very immersive it was a very immersive experience you're you're you start on the the boat the Boats heading into the heading onto the beach, Omaha Beach, and soldiers are vomiting and they're praying and all that and like shake their hands are shaking and it just like felt very visceral. It was quite a moving experience and it holds up today because they seems like they used all practical effects. Yeah, yeah, they they did and I watched some Spielberg talks on it. He basically said that they they filmed it with like. Tons of camera operators shooting basically dock style and took it like one stretch of the beach at a time, just like a, the actual invasion. 
They just like filmed this stretch, then they got to the the beginning of the beach, then they got a little further on the beach, then they got a little further. And that was a good chunk of the the budget was that scene right there. Yeah, and I read that it took them a couple months to film and um, that Tom Hanks felt blown away by it because when he was thrown into that scene for the first time, all he could see everywhere were just dead bodies and explosions and smoke and it just seemed really real to him. I mean, it's, it's got to be sort of a surreal experience for someone who has never been exposed to combat to be immersed in an environment like that. Yeah, totally. But a lot of the actors, they, they talked about how real it felt for them. And the main cast went through basic training before they started this film to get a real a real feel for it. There was an actual um, retired like commanding officer from the army that put them through basic training, gave them the skills, worked them hard. They all talk about it. Even like Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's in this film. I will watch one of his interviews and he's he's talking about, he's like, this was so tough. These 10 days. It was like 10 days of basic training. He's like, <laughs> I would never do it again. And it's like Vin Diesel. This like jacked badass dude. And it's young Vin Diesel. He's like really jacked and badass. Yeah, he like still has a little bit of hair in, in Saving Forever Ryan. Very Just little. Just a little. Just yeah, a little. Tiniest bit. Well, Tom Hanks actually, it was Captain Dale Dye was this guy's name. And he, he was the head of his company, Warriors Inc. I'm not sure if he's still active or what the deal is. But Tom Hanks had actually already done that for Forrest Gump. So this is his second time going to boot camp with captain die <laughs> oh really i didn't know that that's crazy i totally forgot yeah forrest gump was before this so yeah tom hanks went oh yeah of course it is tom hanks is like super skinny and young in that what am i talking about so it's interesting I- i'm i'm happy to talk about the d-day scene first because not only was it the opening of the movie but it was shot first as well they shot the whole movie in continuity what that essentially means is they shot the movie in the order that it would appear on screen which is unconventional. This is not how it's normally done. And um, it's something that Spielberg's done several times. He did it with E.T. as well. But uh, a very difficult filmmaking style. Probably really great for the actors if their schedule works out, but probably really difficult for everybody else. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. E.T. makes sense. He talks about it in the Spielberg doc is because most of the cast in E.T. were kids. He wanted to shoot sequentially so the the kids had a better grasp for what was going on. You know, when he talks about yesterday, yesterday was yesterday. And then you talk about tomorrow, tomorrow was tomorrow. So it, it helps the kids really get into character. But for this, even with all adults, except for those French kids in that one scene with Vin Diesel... <laughs> just so sad even with even with like these i feel like there's just so much going on that they really get a feel for like what has added up to the final scenes of the film and it, and it shows in the performances it was a great choice it was a great it was a great choice to do that yeah and i think that it shows the devel- i mean the film only takes place over the course of what six days or something yeah but you still see the the brotherhood develop and the characters develop and the the overall journey that they take from beginning to end i think that it was effective as well you see kind of how grizzled and dirty they get over time over the course of that week as they go through like mud and rain and combat and stuff like that but yeah the d-day the d-day scene was was pretty cool they used 40 barrels of fake blood to simulate blood in the seawater i thought that was really cool when they had the they looked like they had underwater cameras so the cameras were dipping in and out of the water like you were actually swimming trying to get to shore 
Yeah, that was really cool. That's how it kind of starts. You're like on the boats. You don't even make it there, and you're just dipping out in and out of water. People are already getting shot in the water. It's just – and you don't see – what I like about this is you don't see a German soldier's face until like like 40 minutes into the film. Oh, that's interesting. It takes so – it takes so long. Like the D-Day scene, all you see – from the Germans is that shot from behind them shooting the gun, the machine guns at the people storming the beach. It's not until they like make their way well through the beach. Do you finally see some German soldiers? So you think that was intentional that they purposefully withheld that sort of that image? I do. I do. I think part of it, because that's kind of how it, how it happened from what I understand in D-Day is like so many people, all it was was just gunfire from every direction until they they finally made their way, you know, up the beach. And it was just super impactful that, you know, seeing all these people dying from every different direction, underwater, on the beach, all different places, you know, you you don't really know where it's coming from because it's coming from everywhere. And as a soldier, it must have been very disorienting. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like this D-Day scene cost 12 million dollars to make. And the, the whole film was a 70 million dollar budget. This is a good portion of the movie. Yeah, and there were some pretty big set pieces after that. The finale was was a pretty large battle sequence, too. Yeah, it was made at this point, wow, 20 years ago. It was This film was from 20 years ago, and watching it last night, never once did I go, oh, like, this is an old film, you know, this could have been done better, this could have been done better. This is how it should have looked if it was made to, today. From what I understand, they, they shot it, and they used, like, old world war ii time lenses that they retrofitted for the cameras and everything like that and it works it looks it looks great yeah we'll talk a little bit more about the cinematography later but i really like their stylistic choice there and I, I i have a hard time believing that a film like this would look as good if it was shot digitally today christopher nolan still shoots in using film did he shoot dunkirk in 70 millimeter yeah dunkirk was shot in 70 millimeter yeah that, that looks good great. that looked good but it didn't look as crisp as as this looked it didn't it didn't look like it was from the 1940s i agree yeah it, it does have that look and i mean you look at recent war films that were shot in digital like i saw i thought hacksaw ridge looked great but it didn't yeah. look like this it didn't have yeah. that you know it had a this movie looks really good and they shot it for like next to nothing hacksaw ridge but it still doesn't have that look so i want to jump back actually to the actual first scene of the movie what do you think about that storytelling style of like the like way in the future, you know, then it goes to the past and then it goes back. I yeah, it's interesting because so, because we haven't even said what the movie's about yet, but it should be pretty obvious from the title that it's about saving a guy in the war named Ryan. Well, um, you don't figure that uh, out until way after that D-Day scene. <laughs> yeah. You just get um, thrown into war and then you figure out what your goals are. What, like, your mission is. Yeah. yeah. the call to action doesn't take place until, like, 40 minutes into the movie. But what I found really interesting about that scene was that you don't know who that guy is, and you don't end up finding out until the end. So it's like you know that someone survives the movie, but you don't know who it is. And the implication is that it's Tom Hanks' character, Captain Miller. Exactly, because that opening scene, it closes in from the tombstone to, to a close-up of the the old veteran guy's eyes and then the d-day scene opens with a close-up of tom hanks eyes so immediately what you think is okay this is tom hanks when he's super old with his grandchildren at the cemetery and he lives through all this 
that's what I got too. I think that's what you're supposed to get because as you find out in the end of the film, he doesn't survive throughout it, throughout the. Did you just give away the ending? How <laughs> just... dare you? What if I someone was just... watching, what listening to our podcast while they were watching the movie? What like... if they? What if they? <laughs> what if they cut? What if they decided to skip to a random part in the podcast? Heard me say that they the person dies at the end and thinks that I'm talking about Infinity War. Thinks that I spoiled the ending to Don't Infinity War. Don't you dare, Matt. I haven't had time to see it yet. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm not, not I almost anything. watched it instead of Saving Private Ryan, and I would have just talked about Infinity War and see how long it took you to under <laughs> to realize. <laughs> <laughs> what I find interesting to go back to the, the opening is, like, I hate this version of storytelling. And they do it in, like, Titanic also. But, like, when you think about Titanic or Saving Private Ryan... You don't think about, like, some old dude in a cemetery. Like, you don't even remember that that's part of the movie. It doesn't matter. The same thing with Titanic. You don't remember that Bill Paxton is, like, on a vessel searching for the Titanic. You just think about the actual Titanic story. It's it just, like, it's so forgettable and so unnecessary. Like, this film could have opened on the shot of Tom Hanks' eyes and then just the battle ensues. I didn't need that opening. I think the opening, ser- I think the book ending serves the movie really well because for one, it it gives the audience a it, sort of like a um, a false sense of security. The protagonist is going to survive, even if you it's subconscious that Tom Hanks's character is going to survive. So it makes his death even more impactful. And then the ending, when you come back to the graveyard. And you find out that it's Matt Damon's character, Private Ryan, that packs an emotional punch because of his dialogue with who we assume to be his wife, where he questions whether he was worth saving. So that sort of wraps up the moral questions of the movie really well, which is something that you couldn't necessarily accomplish in the action back in the 1940s. So that's why I think that it worked. I'll give you that. I just find those scenes so wonky. Like, <laughs> like I mean, because they don't match the aesthetic of the rest of the movie. They just seem tacked on. Yeah, and, you know, to be fair, like, this film, Saber Prime Ryan, like, this was probably the first time doing research for this film where I sat down and watched it from start to end. Like, I've seen the whole movie, but, mm-hmm. like, have I ever watched it in one shot? I don't think so. When it started, I didn't remember that scene at all. Like, the op- the beginning and the end. It was like, oh, yeah, okay. And the same with, Ti- with Titanic. Like, I don't think... I think about Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, like... I don't think about Bill Paxton and some old-ass bitch. <laughs> hey, she was a saint. That bitch threw the jewels in the... It, like, Bill Paxton sat and listened to her stupid-ass story all day because that movie's like six hours long anyway. So he sat down and listened to her story for six hours, and then she throws what he's looking for in the ocean anyway. Like, what I if, forgot that he was looking for the jewel. Yeah, that's a whole that's the whole storyline is, like, he's looking for the jewels, then this old woman, like, tells him her story, and then he's like, oh, they're lost. We couldn't find them. And she had him the whole time, and she throws him off the the deck and i was like you old ass hag bitch <laughs> it, it was just like rick and morty it's like all right i set up the beacon now all we got now we all got to do is wait for morty to listen to the guy's tale <laughs> <laughs> I, I i guess i i guess we'll have to wait till we get titanic which won 1997's best picture the year before near far 
Okay, sorry. I wonder if I wonder if Titanic's win somehow canceled out Saving Private Ryan's chances because it was also a fictional story within a true story. I've been trying to rack my brain to, to think of how a movie like this doesn't win Best Picture, but Shakespeare and Love did. Well, I mean, Shakespeare and Love, what a classic. And we're <laughs> going to go into depth about that Oscar year, which everyone still talks about. But first, we're already at time, Matt. We got to pick our... Movie decade for next oh, week's wow. episode. And we still have a first... lot of movie. Just like in Saving Private Ryan, it takes a long time to get through D-Day <laughs> invasion before we get to the rest of the movie. And that's what we're doing here. So, Matt, let's do the honors. All right. Well, I think that's the first time we made it through the whole first segment without actually summarizing what the movie was about. Next week, the podcast goes to... <laughs> here we go again, Bob. 1940s. <laughs> Are we now trapped in the 1940s? It seems so. It seems so, Matt. Maybe it's a 1940s film that takes place in 1840. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it takes place in 1990. Ooh. Were there even sci-fi films back then? Uh, I guess there were, but like... I think they were bad. Well, I hope we get a bad sci-fi film, because I have a a Walmart collection box, like 50 of the worst (laughs) sci-fi movies. (laughs) One day... I'll be at a box somewhere long after I'm dead. <laughs> my collection oh, of bad sad. films. I still have my old VHS tapes from when I was like a little kid before the, the, the advent of DVDs. And they're so big and clunky. And I don't know why I still have them. I really should just get rid of them. But They, they are big and clunky, but my old DVDs are all scratched up and don't work. And those <laughs> tapes play fine. There is something beautiful about the way something looks on a VHS. I disagree. Like, Armageddon on VHS can't be beat. Yeah. Okay, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We'll take a quick break, and we'll come right back. back here on the podcast goes to talking about 1998's saving private ryan absolute classic movie and speaking of classic movies bob what are you watching have you seen anything good in our week apart i wish i really wish that i had time to watch stuff (laughs) i just worked long ass days on this tv pilot and I had no time to watch anything. And all I want to do is go to the theater and watch Infinity War because I've been waiting like 10 years for this damn movie. I've already seen all the other movies and it's eating away at me, Matt. And I know you saw it. And if you say anything to me, I'm never doing a podcast episode again. I think, sp- I think purposefully spoiling a movie for someone is just such a dick move. Like, yeah, I get it. It's just a movie. But also, it's like you're taking something enjoyable away from someone on purpose for no reason other than you think it's funny. It's one thing to spoil a movie. It's another thing to spoil a movie that I had to watch, like, 36 other movies to, like, 
before I watch this one. Like it's a total, it, it's 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 a unique scenario. I don't know how I survived as long as I did without hearing a single spoiler. Yeah, and I have so far. Although I, I know someone dies somewhere, <laughs> and I I don't feel good about it, Matt. <laughs> I've been drinking a lot. Let's dive right in to the catastrophe that was the 1998 Academy Awards. (laughs) Why do you say catastrophe, Bob? So I say catastrophe, of course, because this was the year that Shakespeare in Love won Best Picture. And a lot of people are unhappy about that result, especially when Saving Private Ryan is still considered like one of the greatest movies ever. Not only that, but like I know you're not a Terrence Malick fan, but Thin Red Line was it's a great film. Good. It's a it's pretty a it's film. a great film. Uh, what what other movies were there? Like American Life History is X. Beautiful. Yeah, American History X wasn't even nominated for Best Picture that year, and Shakespeare in Love wins. Like just like you know, just too much. It was just too much. And have you seen Shakespeare in Love? I've seen parts of it. There's not much substance to it. I like I watched a trailer for it last night because i was like all right i'm reading all this crap about how like because i haven't seen the film and i'm reading all this crap about everyone's so pissed about the movie and i watched the trailer and it looks like the biggest fucking piece of shit i've ever seen <laughs> like there's no other way it's to describe like up it its own ass it's and like it's, up its own ass right? and it's full of like pe- cast me- that i love like i love jeffrey rush i think he's incredible gwyneth paltrow you know i love me some pepper so i just it, it, but it just Oh, oh, it looks so painfully bad. And wasn't Shakespeare gay? Like, why is he falling in love with a woman? Like, uh, uh, people don't. People aren't even convinced that Shakespeare existed. Well, I mean, the Earth is flat, right? <laughs> oh, did you go to the Flat Earth Conference? I did, but only because I was hired as a videographer to film the event. <laughs> I'm not part of the society. <laughs> Wait, were you really there? No, no. <laughs> oh my god! I sold I that like, well, didn't I? Did it take I? place in New York? But like, I. Like as as a freelance videographer, like I I end up at the weirdest gigs of like things that I don't at all agree or believe in, and I'm just like, I just have to keep telling myself, it's like they're paying me money to do a service. I don't have to believe in what they believe in. <laughs> I'm just like a video whore, basically. I don't know if I could do that. I was having a conversation with someone about this the other day. I know this is like not exactly related, but about like how much money someone would have to pay me to ghostwrite, like for someone else to take credit for my work. I, I mean, know it's I, like, I know it's like very loosely related to what you just said, but like, it's the same concept of like, I don't believe that like, this doesn't make me feel good, but I am getting paid to do it. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have a problem with that. You've said that before, because we were talking about how you send your, you'll send your screenplays out to festivals or something. And you don't give a shit if someone steals your idea. Because then you're like, oh, this is my idea that made it to the big screen. Yeah, I mean, I don't take, like, complete, like... There are a lot of people out there, like, in in my level of, like, filmmaking where we're just, you know, trying to make something, send it, you know, to a festival and see people, you know, so people can see it. And there are a lot of people, you know, my peers that are, they're, like, copywriting their scripts, making actors sign these forms where they can't talk about the movie. And it's like, it's not Star Wars, it's your bullshit little film that no one, you know, no one cares about but you. And like if someone actually is going to go out of their way to steal your idea, it's a compliment. It really is. 
it means that someone likes it enough that they want to, you know, take credit for it. And I, it's the biggest compliment in the world. It really is. It's a compliment, except when Joe Schmo, who stole my idea, makes a million bucks off of it, and I don't get any credit. Well, that's that's a different story. That's a different story entirely. But how is that a different story? If someone steals your idea and gets successful because of it... We're talking about two different things, because you were talking about ghostwriting. But you're talking about people copyright, copywriting their screenplays so no one steals them. Yeah, but we're making, like, short films that aren't going to make money. Like, it, it, it's, a, it's a different story. Like, I'm not making a, you know, like, like when has a short film ever made money? <laughs> there, There's a short film I saw. We're getting way off topic. There's a short film I saw at a film festival that I thought the concept was so good and would have made a great Seth Rogen comedy. And I want so bad to write a feature-length version of it, but I can't find the contact information of the directors and writers Mm-hmm. And I just can't, in my good conscience, st- like write the movie without their permission or their cooperation. Yeah, no, no, that that's fair. I'm not saying you should go out of your way. Like, I would never You're take someone else's steal. idea. If I steal from them, I'm complimenting them. But it's different. It's because I'm not... It's totally different. I, I'm not saying you should go out and steal stuff. I'm saying if someone stole my stuff, I would I, I would take it as a compliment as, as instead of like a insult, you know? Like, wow, you value my work that much? It's someone in my position that I'm trying to gain recognition and, you know, take anything. Like, and, and for me, like, I come up with an idea, I write it, I make it. Like, if I thought I only had one good idea and that's all I had, like, I shouldn't be doing this. And it's like, I'll come up with something, you know, if you can't come up with something, you need to take my crap, like, I'll make my own damn thing. Like, I'll make another thing that's 10 times better. Like, I, you know, that's how I feel. So getting back to getting back to the Oscars. Um, so yeah, so there were some incredible movies nominated that year. Pretty, pretty packed year. Of those categories, Saving Private Ryan was nominated for eleven, and only won five. I mean, that's that's a good haul. It's a good haul, but consider that Shakespeare in Love won seven Oscars. Well, yeah, that's that's what makes it horrible but just you know at face value like five out of 11 oscars is is gold because there are some movies some years that get nominated for like nine and don't win any and it's like that must have been an amazing film if it was nominated for nine i think the post was the one that got screwed this year but i don't think it was nominated for nine that's another steven spielberg tom hanks film that's true they've been together for a while and do you know what film was the first one they did together it wasn't this one was it it was. It was. Yeah. It's it, Saving Private Ryan is the first time they worked together. Then they went off to do many more. Like Catch Me If You Can. Uh, Bridge of Spies. I was underwhelmed with Bridge of Spies. I, I thought it was a really good film. I, I liked it better than The Post. Here's a question for you. What do you think is Spielberg's best decade of movies? Like if you had to pick one Spielberg decade, the rest are going to fade into oblivion. What do you pick? So I can even narrow it down further because Spielberg is like... I don't know how he does it. He makes so many movies in such a little amount of time sometimes. He made Schindler's List and Jurassic Park like within a, like the same year. I would narrow it down to just whatever year that was, like 1996 or something like that. Yeah, 1993. You don't even need to narrow it down to a decade. Like that year, like Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, I think are like his two best films. I completely agree with you. I, I think that the 90s is his most, is his strongest year because he also did Saving Private Ryan well, Hook Hook snuck its way into this this decade, as did uh, as did Jurassic Park 2: The Lost World, of iconic VHS 
sleeve fame. Yeah, and from what I understand, it was like, I forget which one he did first, but it was like Jurassic Park 2, and then like right after he did Saving Private Ryan, there's like no break in between. It's just like this this man, I don't know how he does it. And like watching the Spielberg doc that came out last year, it's just like going through all this and it's like he was he was making jaws like one of the one of the most iconic films ever and he was like 25 <laughs> i'm 25 it's like what the fuck have i done with my life jesus yeah. i mean we had this crisis earlier <laughs> you were talking about it with um what's her name audrey hepburn oh god the 80s gave us raiders of the lost ark et the extraterrestrial indiana jones and the temple of doom the color purple Empire of the Sun and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, the entire Indiana Jones trilogy made it into the 80s. So that is, that's a powerhouse decade. The 2000s, uh, AI artificial intelligence was pretty good. Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, War of the Worlds, Munich, and then... Oh, The Terminal, that's another Tom (sighs) Hanks film. Yeah, and finish it all off with Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I think disqualifies the 2000s. <laughs> but I mean, besides Crystal Skull, like, how many bad Spielberg films are there? There aren't. <laughs> yeah, I, I walked out of the BFG, I have to admit. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I, I've never walked out of a movie in my life. I was, tra- I was driving from Rhode Island to Atlanta, decided to do a stopover in the middle of nowhere. Thought, let me go check out the BFG. I made it an hour in. I left, went to Golden Corral, got, <laughs> got extremely sick, and just, just sat in my hotel room hating all of my decisions of that day. Were you in like a Motel 6 too with like bed bugs? Yeah, and the most fucked up part was like I went to the Golden Corral and just got a salad. So I probably got like E. coli from the salad. Yeah, so it's funny. People think like, oh, you eat bad food. Now we're way off topic. <laughs> You eat like, you know, you eat bad food at like, you know, a bad place, like you're screwed, but actually like the fried food and everything else is like the safest. And I know this because along with my filmmaking endeavors, I also do some freelance wedding gigs and sometimes you go to some sketchy ass places and the, I've been reading articles about like what's safe and what's not. And it's like, you should stay away from all types of salad, fruit salads, people get sick from the most um like raw seafood bars if you're at a bad place or or usually you know so it's like fried chicken just about anywhere like is pretty safe so stick to like the fried like not so good for you foods at bad places (laughs) that's right we're giving eating advice (laughs) (laughs) that's free that the eating advice comes free here on the podcast goes too we don't just talk about films we're we're multi-talented um so we're talking about Steven Spielberg. This was one of the five that they won was Steven Spielberg for Best Director. It was his second win for Best Director because he also won earlier this decade for Schindler's List. Yeah, that was his his first win was Schindler's List. So yeah, he won these two as director. It's crazy to think about like all these incredible iconic films and like these two. Well, I guess he's been nominated a ton of times, right? He was nominated for Munich in 2005. That was the last one. I'm surprised he didn't get a nomination for Warhorse in 2011 or even What about this year? Lincoln. Wasn't he nominated this year for The Post? No. Greta Gerwig stole his spot this year. No, I I don't know I don't know if it's even Greta Gerwig because uh the guy who did uh Three Billboards wasn't even nominated. I'm 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 blanking on the guy's name was it McCarthy or something like that. 
Yeah, McDormand. Oh, wait, no. That's no, the... McDormand's the actress, you bum. Whatever. <laughs> what a speech she gave. Holy crap. She should play the next Joker in the Batman movie. That speech kind of freaked me out. Yeah, that's why she should play the next Joker in the next Batman movie. <laughs> I guess one of my friends ran into her in New York and screamed across the street at her inclusion rider, and she was not amused. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I have a better story. My friend stole her Oscar this year. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know that guy. <laughs> but I was conveniently in L.A. around the same time. And shout out to Daniel Larsh, who I recorded our first podcast episode in his apartment. He lives near Beverly. Well, technically, he lives in Beverly Hills. And he was walking his dog right after the Oscars. And he walks past a mansion that just happened to hold like one of the Oscar after parties. And a dude pops out of a limo holding an Oscar. One of the Oscar winners from this year. And he he took a picture with him and his dog's licking the dude's face in the photo. It's awesome. It was literally like the day before I got there. And he was like, you'll never guess what happened yesterday. <laughs> so who was it? Who was the guy? Um, They were trying to figure it out. I think it was one of the sound guys. It was someone that was like, they didn't really recognize him. Who invites a sound guy to an Oscar party? If you win an Oscar, you should get invited to a party. Well, I wonder if Spielberg was invited to the party. Because he didn't win an Oscar, nor was he nominated. Yeah, well, his film was nominated for some stuff. So he won in 1998 for Best Director. He was directing a script written by Robert Rodet, or it could be Rodet, I'm not sure. I'm not going to assume. Don't assume <laughs> pronunciation. It's 2018. Um, yeah. How do you pronounce this, your last name? I'm starting to second guess you. <laughs> I'd like you to. I don't know how to pronounce my own last name. So I don't know if you know this, but this is the guy who wrote Thor The Dark World. What? Yes, the guy who wrote Saving Private Ryan. Top five movies of all time also wrote Thor The Dark World, easily bottom five Marvel movie of all time. Yeah, it really is. And that's it makes Thor 3 the, like so much better. <laughs> Thor Ragnarok. I guess at the halfway point, it's it's an opportune time to talk about what the movie was about. Um, basically, a group of U.S. soldiers after landing on Omaha Beach on D-Day they're tasked with going behind enemy lines to find a lost paratrooper whose three brothers have all been killed in combat, uh, and they have to find him and bring basically relieve him of duty, send him home. And um, that is the, that's the central conflict of the story, and the moral dilemma of which is basically, why are we sacrificing eight men to save one? And there's so many movies with this concept. It's like, we're going to save that one guy. And then, a, like, all the people die along the way. And it's like, was it really worth it? <laughs> what comes to mind immediately is the mountain climbing movie, Vertical Limit. Have you seen that film? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. One of my favorites, to be honest. But they yeah. send, like, a party of, like, 20 people to rescue, like, three. Only two people make it off the damn mountain. <laughs> <laughs> that math is not great. It's like all right, this is a great movie and they're great people for trying to rescue them. But at the same time, the trade-off didn't work very well. Well, the trade-off doesn't work very well in this one either as the majority of the members of Tom Hanks's crew end up eating it. But I think the overall point to the story is it's just it's meant to reveal the true nature of war and the sacrifices that soldiers made during that time to do the honorable thing and follow commands and just 
trying to find their way to survive and make it home. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it impactful, is it wasn't just like the battles and then they win the war or whatever. You know, it, it, it just kind of felt like it felt so real down to earth. It's like, it was sort of like, I kept thinking of about Alice in Wonderland for some reason. It's this like, what? Yeah. Like, well, just hear me out. Like it's the story structure of like going from station to station. And at each new station, there's a different group of characters and a different task that you have to complete sort of like a video game in order to get to like the next level. That's sort of, that's sort of how this one felt to me. Like, They're on this path through France, like Alice going through Wonderland. And at each stop, there's this new challenge that they have to overcome. Just like Steven Spielberg's Ready Player One. It's a pretty basic story structure, but hidden deep within it is the complex characters, which I thought that this guy developed really well. So it's, it's sort of like a simplistic structure designed to house something much deeper and more complex and i think that he pulled it off really well agreed yeah i mean this movie was ex- ex- executed so well at this point i just want a lightning round we're running out of time here matt already there's so <laughs> much to talk about this long amazing film so let's lightning round through the rest of the oscar categories what it was nominated for and what it ended up winning Uh, Nominated for Best Art Direction, Lisa Dean and Thomas Sanders. Best Music, John Williams. Best Makeup, Connor O'Sullivan and Daniel... Oh, boy. Stripeck. Sorry, Daniel. He might be Sad Panda. Now he's going to be a real Sad Panda. (laughs) (laughs) The categories that it won, all of which I feel are well-deserved. Best Film Editing, Michael Kahn. Best Effects, Sound Effects, Gary Rydstrom and Richard Himes. Sound design, Gary Rydstrom, Gary Summers, Andy Nelson, Ron Judkins, and best cinematography, Janice Kaminsky. So, um, all, all super well deserved. And out of all of those, I think the most well deserved was editing. Interesting. Why do you feel that way? It was just, it was cut so well together, and there's so many different shots, and it disoriented you, but also put things in perspective at the same time. And it's just like going from there's so many camera operators on that on that D-Day beach and just finding the right moments to progress through the action and just going from extreme close-ups of bullet casings, you know, dropping and hitting to like huge wide shots and it just like it cut so seamlessly and I'm an editor at heart and during the day too and <laughs> I normally pick apart like cuts and stuff like that and I just never needed to ever criticize anything about this it was cut so beautifully that's interesting for me the most deserved was best cinematography i really liked the way that they desaturated the images to make it look like it was more of a 1940s you know war-torn france and apparently i tried to grasp the concept of the 45 degree shutter do you know the difference between a 45 degree shutter and a 180 degree shutter well yeah they the so most people are now familiar with shutter speed so shutter angle is basically the literal camera shutter is at a certain angle and that determines how much light is let in right and obviously the less light that's let in the easier the more focused crisp image that you get so for example when they were shooting explosions they had the shutter at a 45 degree so, which means that it's letting in less light than a typical 180 degree, which lets in light. Yeah, for... and then what what that allows at 24 frames a second is you get 
you're stopping down, you're getting less light, and then you get, like, it's more crisp. There's less motion blur, basically. Mm-hmm. So you see a lot of that in, in the films, and, and, and it's interesting to see. You see, like, all that detail of, like, the smoke coming out and stuff like that. And normally that fast shutter stuff kind of looks weird and artificial in in films and stuff like that but it just it just seemed to work for this yeah you could really make out all the little shrapnel debris dirt all kinds of things flying through the air during explosions it, it gives you more of like a i'm right there in the moment yeah to and it. for handheld camera stuff it, it really makes it shakier and jitterier because you get every little movement it doesn't blur it and blend together as well so it's interesting i didn't even know they actually did that the 45 degree shutter so very interesting Matt, it's Bob. time. Give us our <laughs> 1940s year. Do I even All care? Right. <laughs> Do I even care? Will we know the difference between one 1940s year and then and another? I mean, have I even seen a movie from 1940? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you one thing is that Hollywood was being used as a propaganda vehicle for Roosevelt to push his wartime agenda. So we know that we'll probably have some opportunities to see another World War II film, but one which was probably put through the lens of a good old-fashioned romp through France versus the bloody thing that we see in this movie. All that being said, next week the podcast does not go to war-torn planet Earth, but to 1947. Reconstruction. Right. I have nothing to say about that date (laughs) whatsoever. That will have plenty to say when we take a quick break and come right back. Welcome back. This week, we're talking about Saving Private Ryan, a Spielberg film from 1998. So I have a bit more to say about the Oscars this year. What about you, Matt? Do you have a bunch more to say? What I'm saying is, Matt, tell me more about the Oscars in 1998. (laughs) Well, I do have a couple interesting things to say. I'm glad. some big deaths in the in the, in the memorial segment this year. Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert, uh, Frank Sinatra, who was a former Oscar host, and Akira Kurosawa all passed away in 1998. But the biggest one was Stanley Kubrick, who died two weeks before the Oscars. Steven Spielberg gave a memorial presentation for him. And... Uh, it's pretty sad. He was an iconic director. May he R.I.P. It's an impactful year. Speaking of hosts, do you know who hosted that year? Our good friend Whoopi. Whoopi Goldberg. And her opening monologue, she came out in whiteface dressed as Queen Elizabeth. Because <laughs> there were like oh, no. 10 movies that year that all had Queen Elizabeth in them. <laughs> including the Best Picture nominee, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and I think Shakespeare in Love, too. But there were a bunch of... <laughs> she comes out and does her opening monologue as Queen Elizabeth. It's hilarious. <laughs> Classic whoopee. That's yeah. so whoopee. It was a awesome Oscar year. Well, Entertainment Weekly said that she bombed. So I'm not sure who to believe here, you or Entertainment Weekly from 1998. Well, to be fair, I don't remember watching this as a kid. So I don't know what, like, <laughs> the you know what was going on at the time or anything like that and all i really watched was that one clip so maybe she did bomb <laughs> i don't know <laughs> they brought her back uh, didn't they didn't she do it again i think she did it the year before and the ratings were super good so she came uh, back this year and then the ratings were not as good gotcha. and the show was four hours long <laughs> oh, which man. is a breeze by today's standards this was also the year that roberto benini did the iconic standing on the backs of the chairs with his arms spread wide when his film life is beautiful one for best foreign language film did you ever have you ever seen that clip no <laughs> it sounds amazing i feel though. like they play it anytime there's any sort of oscar montage they play the clip of his arms That's definitely check one it out of the, one of those moments one of those signature yeah. oscar moments yeah like you like you hear like when they're she's about to announce the winner you hear people in the audience yelling roberto roberto and then she goes, Roberto. And then he goes, and then he's just like, wee. <laughs> <laughs> just like goes ape shit. It's hilarious. It's like exactly how you want to celebrate an Oscar win. And the Oscar goes to. Roberto. So I'm going to, I'll make it to that montage one of these days. I'm feeling good about next year's Oscars. My short film, Fists of Endearment. An action romantic comedy is coming out soon, and I think it might win Best Short Film. And I'm definitely going to drop my Oscar on stage, and that'll make it to the Oscar montage forever. Ooh. Either that or, like, sexually assault Halle Berry. What? <laughs> How dare you? She's like so Adrian... fun. Halle Berry. Halle Berry. <laughs> Halle Berry. Didn't think I'd sing a Hurricane Chris song on this podcast <laughs> i don't know what that is you don't know that you do song remember, you do remember adrian brody kissing halle berry right no or did that comment just sound like i was just randomly condoning no sexual but it, assault? It, it allowed it allowed me to lead in to the hurricane chris song it's literally just called halle berry and he just raps about how awesome and sexy Halle Berry is. And the music video is a bunch of women that don't look anything like Halle Berry with like her short haircut dancing around. <laughs> it's a great is, song. It's a classic. That is absolutely ridiculous. But She's perhaps, so fun. Halle Berry. Perhaps not as ridiculous as uh, the career of one Tom Sizemore, who played Sergeant Horvath in Saving Private Ryan. A number of fame, a number of big name actors in this movie. I mean, it just never ends, and a lot of them, you know, their their careers took off later on. But it just seeing it now, there are just so so many awesome actors in this film. Yeah, I mean, even Matt Damon, he he was a no-name actor when he was cast, and then he won for Goodwill Hunting in 1997. So, like, by the time yeah. Saving Private Ryan came out, he was, like, a big deal. Yeah, and I heard Robin Williams had a big uh, influence in getting him this role. Damn, I love my man Robin. I remember being, I remember washing my laundry, washing my clothes, and hearing that he died in the uh, laundromat. And I, he died in the laundromat? I, I died a little inside when I found out that he died in a lot. 
while yeah. I was in a laundromat. Yeah, that one still sticks with me. So, um, speaking of iconic actors, Paul Giamatti, Ted Danson, Matt Damon, Giovanni Ribisi, Vin Diesel, and one Tom Sizemore, I have a little game planned for you, Bob. It's a little game I like to call Guess the Plot of the Tom Sizemore B-Movie. So <laughs> no. <laughs> so Tom Sizemore is notorious for acting in dozens of b-movies he has 208 acting credits on imdb that's so crazy to me because i can only think of like three movies he's in and one of them i saw like last year at a film festival i actually met him (laughs) was he nice no yeah i I, no, i get that vibe isn't he in trouble what is he not in trouble including for this film saber prime ryan he was like apparently addicted to some sort of drugs and Spielberg told him is like if he did any drugs the entire like from day one of shooting to day like the the last day of shooting that he would recast the role and reshoot all of his scenes again. <laughs> that is a direct quote from Steven Spielberg. That is fucking wild, especially because they shot in sequence. So yeah, it was like fifty eight days. I think he's like, I'll shoot, I'll reshoot <laughs> all fifty eight of those days and recast your character. Well, I'll give you the name of a Tom Sizemore B movie, and you tell me what you think the plot is. This one is uh, this one hasn't even been released yet. It's coming out this year. It's called Old Bryce, and Tom Sizemore plays Doctor Bryce. Old Bryce. Oh man, there's got to be some sort of mad scientist, right? I'm thinking he takes uh, the brain of a human and puts it in a monkey. Ooh interesting (laughs) that's more like that's a c movie that's not a b movie okay in 1968 on the heels of the historic tuskegee syphilis study two white doctors launch a secret experiment to find a cure for white mental illness however tired of using rats they decide (laughs) to use negro men instead (laughs) What the fuck is this racist-ass movie? Oh, my God. How do you go from being in Saber Prime Ryan to that? What did he What did he do? Like, what did he possibly do that, like, caused this? Are you kidding me? Although, that's... You know what? That's not fair, because I've been traveling around to, like, a lot of, like, local, like, not huge film festivals. And he's always in a freaking movie that, like, no one's ever heard of that's just playing at, like, Joe Schmo Film Festival down the street. But also, in all fairness, that sounds like the plot of Get Out. I guess so. <laughs> in fact, the more I think about it, that is sort of ripping right from Get Out. So someone just ripped off Get Out and I put Tom Sizemore in it? Actually, Tom Sizemore in Get Out doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> he needs to get the hell out of show business. <laughs> so let's go on to the next one. This one's called Wolf Mother. Oh, God. And Tom Sizemore <laughs> plays John. Uh, there is... <laughs> This is this is hilarious. There's also a guy named Dwayne Johnson in it, but it is not The Rock. <laughs> they probably cast this guy. guy strictly on name. It's like Dwayne Johnson, plays... you're hired. <laughs> and this could be a little bit of a this could be a little bit of a giveaway. He plays Chinatown Club Boss. That's what Dwayne Johnson, not The Rock, plays. So what do we think this is about? Oh man, I don't know. It's got to do something with werewolves hunting down people in the middle of Chinatown. Ooh, I kind of like the sound of that. 
Close. In an attempt to rectify their criminal past, a successful Hollywood starlet turned prostitute and a misogynistic thief set out together to solve a high-profile child abduction case. <laughs> I'm guessing. I'm guessing they were abducted from the Wolf Mother. Do you know what these sound like? You ever do those like random logline generators? <laughs> Where they just give you the worst like movies ever, and they're just all hilarious. It's like a gangster, a biker, and a friendly ghost all think about their futures on an alligator farm. This <laughs> like, yeah, just like exactly movies that don't even is. make sense. <laughs> well, the poster has Golden Globe nominee Tom Sizemore as the <laughs> as his credit. So don't forget, nominated for a Golden Globe. Let's go to the next one. Oh, God, there's more. Nick Kroll is in this one. So can we even call this a B movie? Um, Ed Hardy Boys 2, the case of when that Filipina girl lost her tramp stamp at mini golf. Wait, that's the whole title? Yes. No, get the fuck out of here. What? I swear swear to fucking God, 2011, written by Nick Kroll. Ed Hardy Boys 2, the case of when the hot Filipina girl lost her tramp stamp at mini golf. Uh, like, I give up. It's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is incorrect. The correct answer is the movie is about a Filipina girl who loses her tramp stamp at mini golf. Damn okay, it, I could have guessed that. <laughs> let's go to the last one. This one's from 2009. Tom Sizemore is not among the principal cast in this one, but he is credited as being in it. He must have a cameo. It's called Super Capers, The Origins of Ed and the Missing Bullion. The Missing what? <laughs> bullion. Bullion? What's a bullion? I'm glad you asked. Bullion is gold or silver in bulk. So apparently they lost a small fortune here. Super Capers, The Origins of Ed, and the Missing Bullion. <laughs> super Capers. It sounds like a bunch of drunk superheroes who don't have superpowers. Or maybe it's a bunch of people who eat capers. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you were actually correct the first time. A good guy with no powers joins a superhero team with no clue against a bad guy with no shame. <laughs> Rent it for $3 on Prime Video. The, I would never... $3? Are you kidding me? No, get the fuck out of here. Oh, man. I don't know, man. It costs more I'm to looking- see Cabinet in the Woods. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. So that was that was an edition of Guess the B-Movie. Can we just do that every week and just talk about more Tom Sizemore movies? <laughs> This is. It was really hard to narrow it down to just four Tom Sizemore movies. To be I, quite honest, I gotta admit, how many credits do you said he had? Like hundreds. <laughs> Two hundred and eight acting credits. Oh my god. He has like twenty just this year, just from 2018. Well, you gotta give a guy credit. He's working. He's working. He must be making SAG minimum at this point. <laughs> but this is interesting. This means I could probably afford to put him in one of like my next film. Oh, you definitely could. Oh my god, this opens up so many doors, Matt. He probably lives in New York. I just got to think of something that that's more ridiculous than all of these films combined. <laughs> Dude, he's he's like he's like um what's his face? Julia Roberts. He's like Eric Roberts. I mean, you just Julia Roberts? Him. What? <laughs> yeah. No, he he's just like Eric Roberts, like these guys who just 
you pay like a thousand bucks and they'll appear in one scene of your movie and then you get to put their name on the poster of your film and say Golden Globe nominee Tom Sizemore is in my movie. I would I would say that's horrible practice, but the project I worked on literally just did that. <laughs> <laughs> with with Tom Sizemore? No, no, I wish it was Tom Sizemore. And actually, Tom Sizemore would have been perfect for this role. What else do we have to say about Saving Private Ryan besides Tom Sizemore uh, only went down from there? No, honestly, <laughs> he went up. I, I take that back. Super, <laughs> super Caper sounds way better than Saving Private Ryan. Like, let's be real. You yeah. know what I remember him the most in? Uh, Enemy of the State. Have you seen the Enemy oh, of the State? No, but funny because that is one of the tr- the trailers that plays on the VHS of Armageddon. It is, yeah. I, it's one of my favorite films actually and tom sizemore plays like a a gangster and it he's he's awesome in it he has like such a small role but jack he's like black is in that yeah it's like jack black plays like a like a small role he like he's like super young in it um oh. and like didn't have a career before but yeah it's jack black <laughs> and it's like a serious movie although his character's still kind of funny but uh tom sizemore this is one iconic like scene that i'll always remember where he's like the mobster and he's got his two like fat sons eating dinner you know in his Mm -hmm. front restaurant and he's like you like the food he's like yeah it's good food i made it and they're like no you didn't make it he's like oh i got you i didn't make it (laughs) and i just like i always think about that scene i don't know so Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> so they finally find Matt Damon. God damn, it was hard to find. Two him. hours into the movie. I know, right? But first, they found a different Private Ryan. He kind of looked the the other Private Ryan. He kind of reminded me of Gronk, like a skinnier Gronk. <laughs> <laughs> he was the he was the captain from Firefly, Nathan Fillion, aka Young Skinny Gronk. i'm looking at a picture of now he kind of does look like an older didn't ever work out version of gronk but uh yeah that was uh that was a light moment he he tells uh young gronk that his brothers are dead and apparently it's the wrong private ryan and the guy's very confused as to why his kids who are his brothers who are still kids in grammar school (laughs) have dropped dead suddenly yeah and then and then when they're like oh it's the wrong guy and he's like are you sure they're alive? Like this movie is so. I'm just thinking about all the other characters. There's also um, the guy who is from Lost, who <laughs> plays the bumbling translator, who is like too afraid to kill a German, and then he lets a ger- German go, and then the German ends up killing like <laughs> Tom Hanks. Yeah, and that's the <laughs> and only so... guy he ends up killing is that German. It was a kind of like a good moment. But also yeah. the other soldier dies too because he could have he had a gun and they're fighting with knives and he totally could have mm-hmm. stopped that guy and he's just sitting on the stairs crying and then the German comes down and he's like oh you're I'm just gonna leave you here <laughs> yeah you're a little bitch basically and then at least at the end he kills that guy that he convinced Tom Hanks to let go so mm-hmm. at least there's that I guess that's his like arc <laughs> is he's a nervous little bitch and then at least he realizes that they should have just killed that guy and not let him go but that's not true they should have let him go but i don't know it's interesting what i also like about that character is way in the beginning when tom hanks first introduces him into the company this is i'm I'm about to go off on a tangent and we're already like an hour and a half at this point in our episode (laughs) but and for those of you listening you're probably at like minute 30 because we had to chop so much of this out (laughs) so i shouldn't have even said that 
he he's like, can I take my typewriter with me? And Tom Hanks is like, no. And like throws his typewriter. And I found that really funny. Do you know why? Tom Hanks loves typewriters. And it oh, must have really? been so painful for his character to throw that typewriter, which is probably like an antique, like 1940s typewriter, knowing like Spielberg and his attention to detail in films. And that must have really hurt for Tom Hanks. <laughs> I was at Nashville Film Festival last year, and there was this film called California Typewriter. And all I saw was t- Tom Hanks' name. I was like, ooh, a movie with Tom Hanks that I haven't heard of. You know, at the film festival, I'm definitely going to see this. And it was like packed. The theater was packed. And it turns out it was a documentary about typewriters. And it features <laughs> like like 15 minutes of interview from Tom Hanks about why he loves typewriters. And the rest of the movie is about <laughs> other people. And like people started leaving slowly throughout as they realized it wasn't like a narrative film starring Tom Hanks. They were like duped. But I stayed for the whole thing. And it's actually a really interesting documentary about typewriters. <laughs> but <laughs> Tom Hanks goes off about how much he loves typewriters he has like 50 of them in his house and he talks about how he likes to rotate which ones he types on because certain ones feel certain ways and if you send him a typewritten message he'll save it forever and how he like writes people letters that he typewrites he hates emails and like electricity (laughs) and like all i could think about was that when i saw tom hanks throw that typewriter and i was like oh my god he's really committed to this role matt (laughs) tom hanks loves typewriters what if that was the origin of his typewriter obsession like do we know for sure that he loved typewriters in 1997 or when he threw that typewriter did a little part of him hurt inside and he felt like he had hurt something that he was meant to care about since then he's been collecting typewriters maybe that was the first typewriter he ever collected i can ask him because all i got to do is get a typewriter and send him a message and he'll send me one back (laughs) <laughs> I have I have a type I have two typewriters. Yeah, you should you should ask him because I really kind of like Tom Hanks in that way. I'm the Tom Hanks of my generation. <laughs> <laughs> you're anything but. You're you're more of a Tom Sizemore of your generation. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest though, I'm That's making fucked. like Tom Sizemore level films. Like I have the Cabinet <laughs> in the Woods and Fists of Endearment. And I don't know if you ever saw my uh, when I took 16 millimeter film at URI. Did you see my end of semester film? It was called Beach Invasion. Do you know this? Yes, film? I did see Beach Invasion. I loved Beach Invasion. Black and Classic. white 16 millimeter film of people just getting murdered on the beach by aliens, <laughs> and the laser beams are in color. <laughs> well, Saving Private Ryan is just we could just talk for hours and hours about this movie. Just every character has his place. Every scene has its value. Every shot could have, could be printed out and framed on a wall. It was just an absolutely incredible movie, packed with meaning, full of action, drama, just enough humor, you know, with a script that was just fleshed out perfectly. It's just impossible for me to imagine a movie called Shakespeare in Love <laughs> packing as much of a punch and earning the best picture of the year. What categories, because you said it it was nominated for 11 and it won five. What were those six that it lost? It lost Best Picture, which it obviously should not have lost. Did it lose yeah. all of those categories to Shakespeare in Love? It lost Best Writing to Shakespeare in Love. Give me a fucking break with that. Um, it lost Best Art Direction to Shakespeare in Love. Oh, come on. Those bullshit fucking, like wonky ass old england sets versus like the most amazing set ever 
the beach looks so amazing. And then like all like the rubble and everything like that. And the size of these sets is just like, yeah, no, I listen, I agree. Uh, this is, um, this is off topic, but uh, it wasn't nominated for best original song, but I don't want to miss a thing from Armageddon got beat out by when you believe from the Prince of Egypt. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, that's a real, that's a real snub. And this didn't even get costume design nomination. And of course, Shakespeare in love won that too. When all of these costumes were like <laughs> so realistic. Uh, I, oh man. Yeah, but the oh, thing is, like, it lives on, whereas Shakespeare in Love doesn't. So that's that's the legacy for Saving Private Ryan. It was the top-grossing movie of the year. It has a lasting impression on American cinema, and that's really the bigger prize. Any final thoughts on Saving Private Ryan? A favorite moment in the film? A favorite character? My favorite scene in the movie was the church scene. It was just like this Were they sleeping soft... in the church? Yeah, it's like this softly lit candlelight scene where all the characters are just talking and it's just very human and revealing and I mean it's super, I just, it's super grim. It's like, you know, you get all these war scenes and then they're kind of quiet for a while, but like Spiel uh not Spielberg. Uh, Tom Hanks is like explaining his handshaking stuff to Tom Sizemore. The other dude is like rewriting Vin Diesel's letter to his dad because it has blood all over it. Yeah, you can hear like bombs dropping in the in the background. Great yeah. sound design there. I also liked I also liked the a lot of the there was no music in any of the action sequences. That's that's kind of a Spielbergian thing. He did that with Jurassic Park too. Just let the the patter of the rain be the tension builder because the scenes are so impactful you don't need the music it you know it already has it and the sound takes it away yeah did you have a favorite scene what was the grossest thing that you saw on this there's one part where like someone's trying to put his guts back in that was a little bit disturbing not to be confused with the guy who just looking for his arm and then picks up his arm and walks away <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah not to and of course we're, we only laugh at it because it's just so disgusting and I'd say the most disturbing moment is when the medic is dying and he's like bleeding out and he's crying for his mom. That was like the most disturbing moment for me. Why? Yeah. I Sneak, feel like you have one scene specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like you have a specific moment. So there were a lot of, there was a lot of like gore and people dying and screaming for their moms and guts and, but or, um, people biting each other's fingers. But what really got me was that scene where one dude's chewing tobacco in the tower and the other dude's like, you're out any extra? And he just takes some chewing tobacco out of his mouth. And the guy takes it and, and chews it. And it was like, I thought it was going to go a different way. And it just really rubbed me the wrong way. Why did that bother you so much? It was so gross. Like, chewing tobacco is already so gross. And, and like, this guy, I thought he, when he took it out of mouth to hand it to him, the guy would be like, oh, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I was asking for, like clean chewing tobacco but no he just takes it and fucking chews it oh oh spielberg really got you with that gross out i'm sure that's what he was thinking when he put that in like oh this is gonna really gross out the audience <laughs> matt i have so much more to say about this but it really is time yeah it's time Pick you our have to get movie. up in like two hours yeah i also want to order some dominoes before i go to bed Holy shit, it's almost midnight, but okay. The nominees for next week's podcast are The Bishop's Wife, Crossfire, Great Expectations, Miracle on 34th Street, and the winner from 1947, Gentleman's Agreement. 
I've literally heard of none of these films. I'm pretty sure Great Expectations is longer than Saving Private Ryan. So you will have to be saving <laughs> Matt and Bob if oh we end up with that one. Well, on, on, a bright, on a bright note, we're watching something new. That's something right. Something I haven't seen before. So that's what got me roped into this podcast in the first place, is to get new experiences and to talk to Matt every so often. He's such a cool guy. Yeah, that's good. I just sound super like depressed. That. All right, just pick the damn movie. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Next week, the podcast goes to The Bishop's Wife. All right. Can't wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know? It's a romantic comedy. Starring Tom Sizemore. <laughs> <laughs> Golden Globe nominee Tom Sizemore. All right. I'll see everybody next week. Bye, Bob. It's been a pleasure, Matt. And good night and good luck. Good luck.